Welcome to the Ask Zach Show. I'm your host, Zach Childs. I've spent the last 30 years working in the music industry here in Nashville, Tennessee, during which I've done everything from touring with major artists like Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood to playing the nastiest dive bars or even the occasional wedding. This show is all about barreling down the rabbit hole on all things guitar and the music we love. We will cover the legendary players, gear insights, and even some interviews along the way. I hope you enjoy. To support the show, follow the links in the description to find out about my Patreon page. Or go to my store at AskZach.com to pick up a coffee mug or t-shirt. Now, let's dive in. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another Ask Zach. I hope you're all doing well during this crazy time. I hope uh, this can be a good, fun description distraction and uh, hope you're being kind to yourself and uh, giving giving some grace to others during this uh, again unprecedented time uh, I just thought it'd be fun to talk about some of my favorite records uh, these records really impacted me hugely and maybe you've heard of them maybe you haven't but uh, I hope you will uh, take a gander and uh, maybe take a listen. This will give you something to do. So, uh, yeah, we'll have a little fun. So, first off, number one is Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. This is part of the Tiffany Transcription series, which were kind of more loose and uh, they did more jamming in them. It was, uh, you know, recorded to be sold to radio stations to to play. Uh, and uh, this one, this is volume five, and it features Junior Bernard, who it's kind of tough to pick a favorite, you know, string player, guitar player with uh, Bob Wills. But if I had to pick, it'd be Junior Bernard. And that's because of his distorted tone and his kind of aggressive playing. And I think he was a big influence on Roy Nichols and uh, a lot of other players. Um, you know, this was recorded in 1946 and 47 and, uh, yeah, it has a great live sound to it. It, uh, it has a lot of energy. Um, if I had to pick a favorite cut, it would be Fat Boy Rag, which was, is an instrumental that features Junior Bernard. Uh, Junior Bernard played an Epiphone archtop with two pickups that he ran to two amps and he used a volume pedal. And he did like pull-offs and you could tell that he was listening to Django Reinhardt and other things. And yeah, yeah, I really need to hear uh, Junior Bernard, Fat Boy Rag. Yeah, this really made Western Swing cool to me. Before, I thought it was a little too polite, a little too polished. And when I heard Junior Bernard, I was like, that's it. Because he had kind of, a, he was more aggressive and he had that kind of distorted tone. Next up. Merle Travis. Uh, you know, of course, by the time, you know, 70s and 80s seeing Merle Travis, I mean, he was, uh, uh, he was much older and, uh, 
you know, and of course he you know, died in the early 80s. Um, yeah, I think hearing this album, you know, when he was, you know, really in his prime uh, in the late 40s, early 50s, uh, it was really, you know, it, it really blew my mind. Uh, hearing his guitar tone, uh, that Super 400 with those big, you know, single coil pickups and the Bigsby on it and the way he played and this is just him playing electric guitar. There's no rhythm section. There's nothing because it's solo guitar. I mean, that's that whole style of guitar playing with the thumb pick, the whole Merle Travis Chet Atkins thing. It's supposed to be solo guitar. And that's what he did on this. And so you really hear the richness of that guitar and his playing. The Probably the, the cut that you would need to hear uh, the most is Blue Smoke. This was a big influence on a lot of the er, a lot of the rockabilly players and a lot of the early rock and roll guys, even like Jeff Beck. Killer, killer album. I'm gonna try not to overuse uh, "killer" or "incredible," but it's gonna be tough because these are all albums that really influenced me a lot and they really impacted me. Next, two guitars, country style, Jimmy Bryant and Speedy West. This album is even signed by uh, Speedy West to my friend Bill, Speedy West. So this was signed to my friend, Bill McCumber, who's a great uh, pedal steel player and who uh, a mentor to me, who uh, took me under his wing. And when I was wanting to play country guitar and I knew nothing about it, he, uh, he let me borrow this big stack of records. And I used to play gigs with him and he used to tolerate me when I first got my first B-Bender and I was just yanking on it like crazy and just, you know, he would just laugh at me. And, uh, and sometimes he'd tell me, just play the melody or, you know, maybe simplify that or something. But he, uh, he gave me this album and, uh, yeah, this is, this is, uh, it's hard to believe, you know, that this album was made, you know, in like 1951. Uh, just the recording sounds wonderful. Uh, their tones uh, Speedy West's, you know, tone, uh, Jimmy Bryant, of course, probably the first big telly player. He's mainly using the neck pickup. Uh, we don't know what kind of strings he was playing. He's probably using round wound strings, probably 12 through 52, which whatever they're putting on at the time. And just so you know, I've gone around in, in circles and no one can say for sure whether it was round wound or flat wounds that were put on early Fender guitars stock. But uh, the consensus seems to be that they think it was round wound. So Jimmy was probably playing round wound strings on his telly, you know, probably 12 through 52. And apparently he liked those little jazz picks, like, you know, the little Fender heavy ones like Danny Gatton and uh, Roy Buchanan used. And uh, used a, uh, not a tweed, he used a wooden pro amp. So before the tweed amps, they had these really cool uh, woody amps that they're that's what they're called now and they had a wooden cabinet and then they had a, a usually a metal strip down the middle and uh, then they had like a red uh, grill cloth and uh, usually they had field coil speakers and of course the one uh, jimmy used was the top of the line pro which had a 15 inch you know field coil speaker in it so um you know just a, a wonderful sound um golly if i had to think about a a favorite cut on here, it'd probably be Bryant's Bounce or Arkansas Traveler. I mean, those just, you know, Jimmy was a ridiculously good player.
sun sessions. You know, everyone's probably heard Elvis, but how many of you have really taken the time to listen to the sun sessions? Okay, you know, because we can all get bogged down in that late, you know, that 70s stuff when he was really, you know, he was not really in it anymore and he was just kind of going through the motions. And it's sad. But this album, and then of course also the Memphis record that he made with uh, Reggie Young and the Memphis Boys, I mean, to me, these are the highlights. And, uh, and this is really, really influential stuff. And if you haven't heard the Sun Sessions, you need to listen. My favorite cut on here, you know, besides, you know, of course, like Mystery Train or That's All Right Mama would be uh, Blue Moon. And you know, his voice, Elvis's voice is going through some echo. Just really eerie, spooky sounding. It's just, it's a great sounding album. And, uh. If you think you know Elvis and you haven't heard the Sun Sessions, you need to listen to this. There you go. Chet. I love Chet Atkins. Who doesn't love Chet Atkins if you're a guitar player? Uh, it's hard to pick because, you know, of course, Chet had many eras. Everything from smooth jazz to, you know, of course, he had his earliest stuff with, uh, you know, Homer and Jethro where he was playing really adventuresome. And you can hear that Les Paul and Django Reinhardt influence. You have the 60s stuff where he would, you know, of course, did some classical Spanish things and, and was playing, you know, straight melody and sometimes had strings behind it. Uh, you have the mid-50s stuff that's interesting because he actually has fiddle and, and pedal steel and things like that, like on the In Session album. And I love that album, too. This album is great because it's just him with a basic rhythm section. And you can really hear his guitar and, and you can hear, you know, the echo on it. And uh, he's playing, you know, just, of course, beautiful, clear, clean, you know, guitar playing. The tones on it are fantastic. So, Mr. Guitar. All right. Okay. Now we're going out to California. We're going to Bakersfield. Uh, Buck Owens. Love Buck Owens. Uh, you know, I used to watch him on Hee Haw all the time. And I didn't really even realize what a great artist he was. I just thought of him as that corny guy that was, you know, you know, wearing bib overalls and uh, saying, I'm a pick and I'm a grinning. And then I actually heard, you know, the, the seminal, you know, fifties and sixties stuff. And, uh, wow. You know, of course the fifties stuff is where you have all that great Ralph Mooney, you know, pedal steel playing on it. And of course, when you get into the sixties, then you get, you know, where, you know, Don Rich's guitar and harmony parts, you start hearing that and they really, you know, hit their stride, you know, you know, through the early 60s, early to mid 60s was really their, their prime. And this album was cut right in the middle of that. And uh, I love Trouble in Me. And of course, I love I Got a Tiger by the Tail. Uh, Crying Time. Yeah. Memphis. Um, I got to meet Buck and I got to play with him once. And, uh, it's the only time in my life I've been completely dumbstruck. I think the other time was when I met William Shatner. <laughs> that was just kind of over the top. But, uh, you know, I've met a lot of guitar players, a lot of famous, you know, musicians and singers and stuff like that. But meeting Buck was just kind of over the top. And Brad Paisley introduced me to Buck. And I couldn't say anything. And uh, I think Brad was a little bit embarrassed. And he said, and I was wearing all black, of course. And uh, And Brad said, well, as you can tell, Zach is a big fan of the man in black. And uh, Buck Cohen said, 
he said, well, you ain't going to find a bigger, you know, fan of the, of Johnny Cash than me. So, but anyway, that was a nice moment when, uh, Buck and Brad kind of saved me when I was dumbstruck. Okay. Merle, uh, tons of great Merle Haggard records, but this is the one for me. Um, the album before it, uh, has, you know, Swingin' Doors and The Bottle Let Me Down, which of course Swingin' Doors was uh, Phil Ball. Bottle Let Me Down was James Burton. This album is 100% James Burton. And you have everything from like I'm a Lonesome Fugitive, where on his red 52 telly, well, that he refinished red, the pickups were out of phase. And of course it had the old wiring, which meant he would, to get both the both pickup sound, he would have to carefully balance that three position switch. And when he did that, he would get both pickups, but they were out of phase. And that's the sound you hear on I'm Alone Some Fugitive. So listen carefully to it and you'll hear, oh yeah, that's the, that's out of phase. Also, some of the uh, Ricky Nelson stuff is also out of phase. Uh, yeah, All of Me Belongs to You, House of Memories, Someone Told My Story in a Song. Yeah. Favorite Haggard album. Albert King. With Booker T and the MGs, produced by Al Jackson Jr. This is the one. I mean, for me, for Albert King, uh, it's it's where everything came together. Great songs, great production, great band, great performance. Um, my favorite is Crosscut Saw because of what Al Jackson did uh, rhythmically on that tune, and uh, and and Albert's you know tone on that. It's fantastic i have always wondered if maybe he used you know steve cropper's harvard or what i don't i don't know what he you know he's probably playing his flying v uh there's rumors that he used one of uh cropper's tellies into the harvard on some of it so we don't know but some of it certainly sounds like a like humbuckers into a tweed or a super or something but another another great all right Amy Lou harris Never heard Amy Lou Harris before uh, when I was a you know a teenager and I uh, heard an Eric Clapton record called Just One Night. It was a, a live album and uh, I could certainly, I certainly even as a you know teenager, I knew what Clapton sounded like. And then you heard this other guitar player, especially on like further on up the road or, or setting me up where he, where Albert Lee actually sang. But I uh, found out of course that the guitar player was Albert Lee and uh, of course, you know, pre-internet. You, uh, you know, I went to a, a used bookstore, it was called Half Price Books, and they had a location in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I went there and I bought every old guitar, you know, guitar player magazine that they had, and they had a stack of them, and they were like 25 cents each, and so I probably, you know, spent 20 or $30 on old guitar magazines, and out of that, there was an article on Albert, and uh, talked about some of his favorite players, and then it mentioned a lot of uh, a lot of albums that he played on, and of course it mentioned a number of albums that he played on by this Emmylou Harris. Well, I decided, well, I better check out one of these Emmylou Harris records. So on a family trip from Kingsville to El Paso, uh, we stopped off in San Antonio, and I begged and pleaded if we could go to Apple Records, which was my favorite record store in uh, San Antonio. Was on San Pedro. It's no longer around, but uh, we went in there, and I was looking around, and my dad told me as I was looking, he said, uh, "I'll buy your records today," and I knew it was going to be a good. I knew it was going to be a good day, 
because <laughs> I didn't have to spend my own money. My dad was taking care of my records that day. So anyway, so I saw this and on the liner notes said, you know, Albert Lee played on most of them. And then there was that guy, James Burton. I said, oh yeah, I know who James Burton is. So uh, he played on two cuts, but the rest of them were all Albert. And then uh, to boot, uh, you probably can't see this, but uh, there's a, a, a shot of Albert playing a black guard. And uh, of course, it was a three-hour drive back home from San Antonio to Kingsville. And I just stared at this and looked at and read it over and over again. And finally, we got home, put the record on the record player, put the needle down. The first cut was you hear that that da 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 that intro to Luxury Liner. And it completely floored me. Uh, another, of course, it has Poncho and Lefty. Uh, this is a, you know, a, a wonderful must listen to album. Uh, all of my friends hate, uh, you never can tell say la vie because in college I played the song nonstop, uh, because I was trying to figure out how to play the solo. And, uh, I did learn how to play the solo note for note, but, uh, yeah, but they of course hate it now because <laughs> I had my B bender equipped telly, uh, and, uh, you know, just playing that over and over again. And that's actually the album, uh, Luxury Liner. That's the album that really, that made me go out and buy a Telecaster and wanted a B-Bender. Delbert McClinton, Live from Austin. This came out on Alligator, but it was a uh, Austin City Limits episode. And so I both saw it on TV and uh, a friend of mine uh, gave me the cassette of this. And this album really floored me. Uh, it made me love kind of Texas roadhouse music, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, horns and uh, great, you know, kind of R&B, blues, kind of rocking guitar parts. And uh, this album has two great guitar players, David Millsap and Stephen Bruton. Uh, David kind of let Bruton kind of uh, take the spotlight. And uh, so Stephen Bruton took most of the solos on here. And uh, I vividly remember him, uh, you know, watching it on TV because he had an all black Telecaster with binding and it had a Parsons White B-Bender on it. And he used the B-Bender in a very non-country way. Uh, it was very cool. And uh, he had like a tweed super and a blackface Vibrolux. And he had some kind of like one of those old Ibanez multi-effects units that had the little rack mounted thing and the attached uh, pedal board. He had that and uh, he played fantastic uh tons of you know great solos on here uh, but i really enjoyed his uh on the otis redding tune i've got dreams to remember uh he actually played a fiesta red strat on that and he was playing those kind of steve cropper kind of six eight kind of you know low arpeggiated parts and it was just fantastic floored me uh, of course bruton is loved by many here in nashville Everyone that's ever worked with Delbert McClinton loves the late Stephen Bruton. And I, of course, you know, bought many of his albums and loved his playing. And sad I never got to meet him. Meet him. These are honorable mentions now. Uh, Lester the Roadhog Moran and his Cadillac Cowboys, live at the Joni Mac Brown High School. This is a comedy album. It's the Statler Brothers. And this is the perfect album for times like these. Just find this on Spotify, find it on YouTube, just listen to it, just enjoy it. If it doesn't make you laugh, then, uh, you know, then, uh, yeah, slap yourself. Do whatever you need to do. This is a great album. You know, the guitar player's name is Wichita, so if you hear people joking about, you know, calling the guitar player Wichita, it's alluding to this. 
Um, there's all sorts of little jokes that are on this album that tons of performers, you know, joke about to this day. So if you haven't heard this album, you need to hear it. And it's easy to find. And it's great. And uh, thanks to the guys at uh, Clausen's Music and Corpus Christi that, uh, uh, that clued me into this album. So, all right. J.D. Simo uh, got me this next album. Uh, we usually give each other uh, albums on our birthdays. Our birthdays are a day apart. And it's coming up in, in April. Uh, I'm, on the, I'm on the 24th. And, uh, yeah, I don't think we'll be able to get together this, this year. But uh, a couple of years ago, he gave me this one. And, uh, I, you know, of course, being from Texas, I was very familiar with the Fabulous Thunderbirds. But I was mainly familiar with, like, the Tough Enough era. And that was great. But I had never heard this album. And so, you know, this was their first album, and it is a true gut bucket blues record. I mean, it is just, you know, the four of them, and it sounds ridiculous. I mean, it's like a Muddy Waters album or something. I mean, it's it's great. I know it's a, a couple of white guys playing blues, but they, they're slaying it. And, uh, you know, of course, Jimmy has said over and over again that he actually used that 70s telly, you know, on the album. And, uh, yeah, it's a great one. I hope you all are familiar with this one, uh, J.J. Kale, naturally. Uh, you know, a friend of mine in Houston clued me into this album. And, uh, you know, this is another one of those records you can just kind of keep flipping and flipping and flipping and listening to it. It has such a great vibe to it. The songs the playing uh it's got everything and of course you know a lot of these songs were covered by other people um they call me the breeze of course my favorite and i love the the fact that you hear that that really primitive drum machine at the beginning you know and uh it's great yeah what's not to like about jj kale uh, and this is our last one uh my aunt lissa davis in Albuquerque, New Mexico, clued me into this. In the 80s, uh, she had a, a Toyota SUV, and uh, and she listened to this album all the time. Willie Nelson, Stardust. Of course, it wasn't until a couple of years ago I asked her about it, and uh, she said, oh, it was jammed in there. And uh, she said, I, I loved the album, but, uh, you know, it was like that was the only, it was jammed in there. She couldn't get it out, but it would keep playing. So for years, uh, she listened to Willie Nelson's Stardust album. And so a number of years ago, course i picked it up on vinyl and this is such a soothing album and uh such great production work by booker t of booker t and the mgs booker t jones he produced it um uh just his take um you know willie's take on all those classic you know th this kind of started that oh let's do the american songbook well i mean as far as i can tell this is probably the first one that really did that and course a record label didn't want to put it out and it ended up being you know selling you know millions of copies but uh this is a great one and if you haven't heard it or if you haven't heard it recently you just need to put it on so well guys thank you for uh you know kind of listening to me uh kind of have fun uh reliving some of my favorite albums of all time and uh yeah Comment below on some of your favorites. You know, put put a list of some of your favorite albums. And, and if you haven't heard one of these and then you hear it and it moves you, tell me. All right. 
Well, I hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Ask Zach podcast. If you want to dive deeper, check out my website, askzach.com, to find more articles and further info on each episode. And remember, it is the support from you, the listener, that keeps the show going. Thank you, friends.